Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you can join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. Fill out that short form online for us, and as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, we're starting a brand new series of talks today that's centered squarely on relationships. And we're calling these talks, It's Complicated, because whenever we step outside of God's plan for our lives, and this includes relationships, Okay, it does get complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And so now let me tell you what I mean by that. Okay, so let's start with just the basic human nature uh, for a moment, right? I want to get a little help from a friend, uh, author C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So in other words, every time we try to take control of our lives and create our own happiness, man, we mess it up, right? And one area we tend to get it wrong a little little more than we get it right is in the area of relationships and we try to create our own happiness in this realm all the time don't we I think Lewis was onto something because you know the result really is true it is terrible but it's not really anything new in fact Romans chapter 1 tells us this human history has been pretty terrible you know as far as trying to create our own happiness goes look at Romans 1 21 they, meaning humanity, knew God, but they wouldn't worship God as, or even give Him thanks, meaning they wouldn't place God's worth above their own. That's what worship means. Worship is, is, is placing worth on someone or something, right? And so Paul continues and says, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. So they're creating their own idea of God here, okay? Now watch this. As a result, their minds became dark and confused and claiming to be wise, you know, hey, we're better, we're smarter, we're more progressive now, you know? They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful hearts desired. Here's the thing about God, okay? He's not in the business of forcing you to do anything. He allows people to freely make their own choices. He did not abandon them in the sense of leaving them behind, you know, in in, in a negative way. He just simply said, all right, you want to do that? I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't do it. And I'm telling you, it's probably not what you need to do, but it's your choice, all right? So as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, and they traded the truth of God for a lie. And so they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now, that is a chunk of of Scripture, right? And it's not a passage you just want to fly over, but it is pretty clear that humanity, as Lewis stated, has a long, terrible history of trying to find something other than God to make us happy. So in other words, I'm sorry, in order for relationships to work, we need to let the one who designed them define them. So in other words, the Creator gets to decide what the creation does. Does that make sense? Just a word of warning, by the way, to all of our parents who are watching or listening. Uh, we're going to tackle some tough issues in this series of talks. We'll try to keep it PG-13, but we just want to give you a heads up in case you got little ears who are listening, and they're not ready for some of the stuff that we might talk about this month. So at Radiant, we're not going to be afraid to talk about sexuality. For some reason, it's a taboo subject in church circles. It's been that way for a long time. Uh, but if we don't talk about it, we surrender God's truth on this topic to whatever system is out there. It's true that there are a lot of, you know, thou shalt 
not in scripture related to sexuality, there's also a whole lot, in fact, the whole book even filled with you shall do, and they're pretty great. So the Bible has a lot to say about sexuality, which means we ought to talk about it and we ought to address it, right? So to start, we're going to go to uh, the beginning, go to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the first two people, Adam and Eve. God's made the earth. He's made all creation. And Adam and Eve have a sweet job of just simply enjoying it. Uh, everything's going pretty well until the enemy comes along in the form of a snake and he dispenses some very powerful, deceptive lies. So... Genesis 3, verse number 1. One day he, this is Satan here, okay, asked the woman, did God really say he must not eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden? Well, of course he may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. You know, God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. Uh, God knows that your eyes will be filled or will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so the woman was convinced and, and kind of stop for a moment you know, and share something with you. You know, the enemy doesn't tell us just outright you know, lies. We tend not to fall for things that are blatantly and totally false in their face. He takes the truth and he twists it just a little bit, you know? So it's like 90% true. It's mostly true. And the problem with something being mostly true is that it's not completely true. It was true they'd be like God knowing good and evil. It was a lie, though. They wouldn't die. A mostly true story statement is what convinced Eve. And I think mostly true statements convince us to do a lot of wrong things even today as well. So she saw the tree was beautiful. She looked at its fruit and saw it was delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Another message for another day right there. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame of their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So Adam and Eve felt shame, right? Enough shame to run from the presence of God and hide. Now, here's what's amazing about God. I love this, man. God pursues them. It's not like God didn't know what happened. Of course he did. And still he comes to them. You know, you have a God today who is in constant pursuit of those outside of his presence. He's calling to you. He's chasing after you. He wants you to come home. There may be parts of this talk today which just leave you feeling shame, almost as if you'd rather run and hide like, you know, Adam and Eve. But I want you to know that God is in pursuit of you, that he's He's calling out to you that he, he knows what you've done. He knows who you did it with, man. He knows everything about you, and yet he still deeply loves and cares for you. So with that said, let's break the story down a little bit here in Genesis, okay? I want you to see five types of lies the enemy tells Eve. And these are lies he tells us today as well. Lies which make things complicated. So each lie builds upon itself in steps. And the first type of lie here is that God's word isn't true. So it sounds like this. Well, you know, God's word's pretty unreliable, right? It's changed. The Bible is just a book of myths and legends and ethical teachings. The enemy is trying to get you to question the validity of God and his word. Now, I don't think it's bad to question things. I'm a big proponent of knowing why you believe what you believe, right? You'll never get to that point if you take things at face value and don't question and study and learn. But God doesn't need defending from us. He's perfectly capable of making himself known in a variety of different ways to people and leaving us to draw our own conclusions about him. But, and this is you know, an important but here, we have to live with the eternal consequences of the conclusions that we draw. All right. So if you're drawing a conclusion that says, you know, I just can't trust the Bible for whatever reason, fill in the blank. It's usually because you've come across one or multiple passages that you don't agree with. There are things in God's Word which make me 
very uncomfortable, <laughs> if I'm just honest with you, okay? They challenge me. Um, I don't know why, for example, in the Old Testament, God basically commands genocide, right? He commands Israel to wipe out every man, woman, and child as a result of national sin for certain people groups. That's an uncomfortable truth, and it's hard initially to reconcile that with Jesus' teachings about loving each other in the New Testament, right? But here's the thing. When we're in a dilemma like this, and we haven't done the digging and the studying to learn why, and even then, you may not have the answer, and you gotta be comfortable with that. We have to make a choice, right? Like, do we move God's word to fit how we wanna be, or do we move ourselves to fit what God's word says? And what if I told you the fact that you're uncomfortable with some things, maybe even disagree with some things in scripture, is actually how it's supposed to be? See, the, you know, God's Word confronts us and challenges us to move our lives to a higher level. So don't buy into the lie that says, I can change God's Word to fit how I want to live. That makes your life worse, by the way, not better. Instead, I want to challenge you to move yourself to a higher level by fitting your life to the standards of God's Word. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about you know, Christians who are being celebrated for not just believing God's word, but also accepting it. Check this out. Uh, the author is a guy named Paul, writing this letter to the churches in Thessalonica. He goes, hey, we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, there it is, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not just as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. God's word works but only if you believe it, only if you accept it. Meaning you believe it and allow it to work within your life. You can't fashion God or His Word into your own idea. I like this quote from a great pastor and leader named Tim Keller. He says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you must be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. All right, here's the second type of lie from the enemy. Sin has no consequences. You ever had that nagging feeling that just said, this isn't really affecting anybody, right? It's just affecting me. You know, you'll be fine. It's okay. You can do it. You can have it. Hey, go for it. You deserve it, right? Of course, Satan tells Eve, you're not going to die. It fits with the context right here, right? Speaking of fitting, this kind of life fits into everything. It fits into marriages, finances, parenting, you name it. It's this whole idea that no one's going to know the difference and no one's going to be hurt because it's just affecting you. Well, Proverbs 14, 12 gives us a sobering thought on this. 14.12 says this, There is a path before each person which seems right, but in the end, it leads to death, leads to destruction. See, we all have a tendency to go our own way, to do our own thing, and often it's because we've bought into this lie that we'll be okay, and we can do what we want, and we'll be fine. I can have as many sexual partners as I like. I'm fine. It's casual. We're consenting. Like, we're good. You know, won't hurt anybody. We're fine. You know, God created sexuality, by the way. It's not like God looked over one day and saw Adam and Eve in the bushes and was like, oh my gosh, where did, where did you guys come from? You know, he created them. He created Adam and Eve. He created sex, dude. He created sex to work in the right parameters. I love a good fire. And it's winter time, I love fires, man. There's something about a fireplace at night or a fire pit outside just feels good. And I don't mean it's the heat, it just feels good. But I, I really like fires, but maybe I've got a little pyrotechnic in me, I don't know. But if I start a fire, okay, without the right constraints, I'm gonna find that what's enjoyable quickly gets destructive and out of control, right? Common sense, passions, 
by the way, need parameters. Our sexual passions can be enjoyed to the fullest if you follow the one who created them in the first place. And it's not at all the most popular thing that I believe for sure, right? But the parameters that God set for our sexual passions are simply this. One man, one woman, together in marriage. He didn't really add anything else. He didn't put any other constraints out there. Just one man, one woman who are united together in marriage. Lie number three. God has evil intent. The enemy tells Eve, God's not for you. He's against you. He knows you'll be just like him. And he tells us similar things here today as well, that God isn't for you. He's trying to limit your pleasure. He's holding you back. You know, the reality is, is living in for the immediate gratification and pleasure in the moment, it actually does feel good, you know? If someone tells you that it doesn't, they're either lying to your face or they actually have never lived their lives uh, <laughs> like most of us have, I guess. Uh, the truth is, it is fun. It is temporary. Key word is temporary. Um, it's short term. It's actually trading short-term temporary gratification for long-term destructive effects. Psalm 16 speaks about the life-giving joy that we have in the presence of God, which isn't temporary. It lasts forever, for all eternity. Psalm 16:11 says this, You'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. When you follow God's parameters, and again, that's one man, one woman together in marriage, okay? You experience sexual pleasure at a level that no person, no drug can ever create. You may not agree with that. And you might just say, well, look, if I were God, I wouldn't do this parameter thing that you're talking about because I'd say, hey, you're fine. Just however you are and how God made you to be or whatever, you're cool. Isn't that what a loving God ought to do? And I would say to you, well, well, no, one of the most loving things God can do is actually correct us and call us to a higher life out of our sin. Think about this for a moment. You know, parents, when you correct your kids, is it because you're trying to destroy their pleasure and make them miserable? Or is it because you know there's just more for them, right? Like you're calling them to be better, a higher life, which isn't possible if they keep going down that wrong road. Of course, it's the latter, you know, right? Like, you, you do that. And it's the same thing with God. He's calling us to a better life because He loves us, because He doesn't have evil intent. He wants what's best for us. But we really struggle hard, right, to hand our lives over to Him because we buy in this fourth type of lie, which says that sin is beneficial. We believe your, you know, your life will be better if you lead it. You know, you know what's best. You know, this is a pretty big one. You can trust your feelings and your emotions. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's the way our world is right now, right, by the way? Many people make decisions based on what feels right. Let me be clear. You cannot trust your feelings or emotions. You follow your faith, not your feelings. If I followed my feelings, I wouldn't be married right now. When you get mad at your spouse, if you follow your feelings, you will walk out that door and never come back. You can, you can tell someone who's you know, acted on their emotions because they'll, they'll act on something they shouldn't act on and they you know, feel regret about it later on, right? Oh, I shouldn't have done that kind of thing. Feelings and emotions aren't true and they're not right most of the time. I would even argue 99% of the time. See, choices lead and feelings will follow. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to feel something towards somebody that we, you know, we care about? And sure, I would say that's true, but feelings towards that person can't be the standard. If they are, your relationship's not gonna last very long because you don't always feel the same towards the person you marry, okay? Or your kids or anybody else you're in a relationship with because feelings shift and change. So that means, 
I'm making the choice to follow God, even on days when I don't really feel like it. You know, I'm following God when I, I feel like giving in and giving up. I, I'm going to stick with Jesus and his standards for me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. Oh, that's key. For you, God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. These verses actually are holistic. They speak to the entire person, not just the physical body, okay? So we're taught to invest in our physical body's long-term health by taking care of it, eating right, that kind of thing, okay? That idea carries over to our intellect. We, we invest in education because we see as an investment for the future and we'll receive long-term benefits. Finances, same kind of thing. No one wants to spend the money on education. No one wants to get up early every day to work out. But these are sacrifices we deem worth it. Most of us just don't enjoy that kind of thing, but we say, hey, in the end, it'll be worth it. I'll have long-term benefits that will make this investment all the worthwhile. But for some reason, we treat relationships differently. Instead of investing in tough choices early and making sacrifices early so we have long-term benefits later, we are told, live it up, be in the now, be in the moment, because you, can, you can't be tied down to anything else later. Later, right? The benefits of making the hard choices and sacrifices now only enhance your marriage and family life down the road. Okay? Giving up something now for something later is not a sacrifice. That is an investment. Think of it as investing in your marriage or your family for the future. And here's the final type of lie. The fifth one we'll touch on here today. And it's this one. It's too late. It's too late. We believe it's too late. We've done too much. We've bought too much shame into our lives. We, you know, since destroyed too much of our future. This is the place where the enemy really ultimately wants you to be at. And you're thinking it's just too late. And so you run and hide from God full of shame. And maybe you're feeling shame right now, right? Thinking that God is disgusted with decisions that you've made. And as a result, he's going to be very distant from you. But that's not who God is. He goes out and he searches for you. My kids did the wrong thing. <laughs> I'm angry in the moment, all right? I am. But my resolve to love them better and help them grow only becomes stronger because I want them to be on the right path. And that's what God does with us. It's never too late. You just need to come back home to God the Father. Psalm 34, 5 says, Those who look to Him for help will be radiant be full of joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And this is how God responds to you when you've messed up, he receives you back. What we've done wrong in the church world is we've assigned a hierarchy of sin, right? Well, your sin they ain't as bad as my sin. Like you, you're way worse than that. That person over there, they're way off the deep end, you know? But you know what? No, you're not out there, man. You're in the same boat that every other person. In fact, one of the goals we have here at Radiant, and we start groups here in a few weeks, we want our groups to be real, to be safe environments where one person can share their scars and no one gasps and says, oh my gosh, you know. We want these to be places where we take each other by the hand and we show our scars and we show we're living proof where those scars can heal because it's never too late. Because God's forgiveness and acceptance doesn't have an expiration date on it. So there's three different ways you can take this talk here today, all right? You could get super defensive. And say, well, hey, pastor, I hear you, you know, but I just made this way. It's who I am, so I'm going to be. And that's fine. Like, you're right. It's who you are, right now anyway. 
I would never force you to make a choice or pressure you to make a decision. Your choice is your choice. I'll never demean you for it or look down on you for it. But I will say this. It's the same attitude and the same spirit that the enemy himself had. You read all about it in Isaiah 14. The enemy makes five I will statements to God. You know, I will do, I will be, I will, you know. And he has a, he has a pretty hard fall. <laughs> and you know, Jesus, by the way, didn't look at God and say, I will. He looked at God and said, your will. Your will be done. You may not be defensive, but maybe you're remorseful, which is not a bad thing, right? You, you can, you, but you can take remorse too far and be thinking, I, I'm with you, Pastor, I agree with you, but it's just too late for me. That's not remorse from God. Remember, that's a lie from the enemy who says it's too late. It's, you've done too much. You've been with too, too many people. You, you made that choice. Just define who you are. Hey, Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us this. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit has freed you. We know John 3.16 pretty well. If we believe in Christ, we'll have eternal life. Okay, but John 3.17, just as important. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. In the Gospels, Jesus does not offer people counseling or penance for their sin. He doesn't make them go to the public square and apologize or whatever. He simply says, leave that life behind, right? Leave it behind. You gotta leave your life behind as well. Third and final way you can respond, just have a repentant heart. See, repentance is simply changing the way you think. It's turning the direction of your life around. 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance, and there's no regret, right? But worldly sorrow, well, that lacks repentance, and it leads to destruction. Things tend to get complicated then. Repentance is a moment of pain, but unrepentance is a lifetime of pain. This is your year to get things less complicated, more full of God. He's the Savior. He brings the change. He writes the ship. You know, life, relationships, marriages, it can get complicated for sure. But it doesn't have to be. Not with God. So you can reach higher today in the life that God has for you. And it starts with you having a repentant heart and desire to change the direction of your life. So first, I'd like to pray for those of you who want to change directions today. You know what your life needs, right? You know you need to be moving in a different direction. Perhaps you've bought into one of those lies from the enemy. Maybe you need God's forgiveness. Whatever the reason is, you know you've got to change direction. So we're going to say a two-step prayer today to make Christ our Lord and our Savior. And then I want to pray for those of you who are already believers out there that you won't fall trap into one of those lies that we talked about here today. You'll rise above that. You'll always be reaching higher here, okay? So, Father, I, I thank you for who you are, for your goodness and grace. And I pray for those right now who say, Pastor, I need to change the direction of my life. I don't know Christ. I got to get the ship righted in my life. Where do I start? And if that's you right now, you say this prayer in your own way, in your own words. Just, I'm going to model for you how this works. We're going to pray for Jesus to be Savior first. So it goes like this. Hey, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Cleanse me from my sin. Give me a brand new start and a brand new life. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again so that I could be free. Take this sin. Take these wrongs from me. And give me forgiveness and mercy and grace. And if you said that prayer, He's now forgiven you of your sins. He's cleansed you of your heart. 
Now, the second step was we make Him Lord. And that means we are no longer following ourselves, making our own way. We now submit our life to Jesus. So we follow under His authority and His obedience. So it goes like this. Hey, Jesus, now that I've made you Savior, can you be Lord of my life? I want to submit myself to following you from this day forward. I'm not going to call the shots. I'm not going to do my own thing anymore. I will now follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you obediently to whatever it is you're calling me to do. My life belongs to you today. I don't want to have control any longer. Be my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for leading me. And thank you for guiding me. And if you said that prayer, you're in God's kingdom here today. Now, for those of you who are Christians, I pray, Lord, right now, for those who might be struggling. They're already believers, but they've fallen victim to one of the lies maybe we talked about today. Uh, Father, I pray that you will spur them to reach higher. Remind them there's, there's no shame too great. That you can't forgive God. There's no condemnation that we have in, in, in you anymore because you've, bring, you've brought us forgiveness. You've brought us grace. And Father, I pray that we would keep you at the center of all that we do. Life gets complicated when we get off the path you have for us. Help us, God, to stay on the right path in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, Lord. With you at the center, man, everything will be heading in the right direction. Protect us from these lies the enemy puts out there. May we rise above them, Lord, I pray. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he came and died for us and has given us life and freedom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.